Behold the voice of God. For those of you who don't know me officially, my name is Amanda Waller. And I am Aaron Mosh, your host of Task Force X. What, are we some kind of suicide squad? Well, yeah, that and... Checkmate. Task Force X is a podcast that tells the stories of John Ostinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kupperberg's Checkmate from the late 80s, early 90s. I want to build a team of some bad people who can do some good. And that's what Suicide Squad is. While Checkmate is a team of good people doing some good. My mission here is to chronicle each and every title and all the books that Suicide Squad and Checkmate appeared in during that era. We're the U.S. government. You're going to start a blog and expose us? Well, a blog and a headcast, Amanda. Those scumbags are trying to screw me. Not at all, Amanda. Just trying to help everyone else discover the joy of the Suicide Squad and Checkmate. Anywho, hope you guys have as much fun with these comics as I did when I first read them. Oh, so many years ago. Mother... That's enough of that, Amanda. Let's go and start the show. I didn't believe the stories. Nobody does. Remember, I'm watching. I see everything. Hey there, squad mates. Brother Head coming at you. I know it's been a bit of a pro- protracted, prolacted, whatever. They link the absence, but I am back. Episode 56 of Task Force X. And this is quite a doozy, if you ask me. Uh, today we're going to be looking at two episodes, two episodes, two issues of Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad 40 and 41, the first two parts of the Phoenix Gambit. Uh, the credits for this, Suicide Squad number 40 was cover date April of 1990. The on sale date was March the 6th of 1990. The cover price was $1. The title of this was called Ashes, written by Kim, uh, John Ostender and Kim Yell. Artist, Jeff Isherwood. Letterer, Todd Klein. Colorist, Carl Gafford. Editor was Dan Raspler. The cover credits was by Jeff Isherwood. And this was reprinted in The Suicide Squad, The Phoenix Gambit, which came out in 2017. Um, Some comments on here from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Uh, This was The Phoenix Gambit, Part 1 of 4. This story takes place one year after The Suicide Squad was disbanded in Issue 39. And this issue actually came with a bonus poster insert, which I remember getting when it came out. So this month, I'm going to do a little bit different. I had a suggestion. It was actually regarding my Head Speaks podcast, but it actually, I guess, rolls over to all my podcasts. That uh, he was wondering why I did a synopsis. And yet, I, as I talk about the issue, I'm basically doing another synopsis as I talk about it. So I'm going to try this for a while and see how this works out. So instead of doing a synopsis, I'm just going to dive right in and talk about the issue. But, as we always do, we will be starting with the cover. Uh, Here we have our Suicide Squad logo at the top, and it says in big little bold letters, The Phoenix Gambit, Part 1 of 4. I get a little little notice here on the side, says a free poster inside. In the cover itself, we have Amanda Waller in prison land on a bunk bed, and standing behind her is the man of the hour himself, Batman. Uh, This was, again, back in the early 90s, before he became the Bat God, which I'll mention later on in the story, I'm sure. Uh, I remember when this came out, I was really excited because I say there was a year gap, and like, well, what's happened in the year? And then we get this cover with, you know, Batman on the cover, Amanda Waller in prison. We're like, oh, it's a year later. She's still in prison. Oh, what's what's going to happen? So I do remember when the storyline came out, I was very excited for it. And uh, well, let's get some thoughts on the actual story. 
So we open up on a splash page of Amanda Waller sitting in a prison cell. Uh, we have our title, Part 1, Ashes. And it tells us right here, one year later. Uh, I do love the way this splash page is done. Uh, we get Amanda Waller sitting on her bunk. She has her head bowed down. She almost looks defeated in this. Uh, you can tell a lot of emotion just from this one splash panel on the very first page. I, I really love the way this looks. I think it's fantastic. Uh, but moving on to the next page, uh, we get Sarge Still. Sarge Still visiting her. Uh, he walks up. Waller, she's like, Still? Tired of prison? What do you want, Still? And so basically he comes and tells her that uh, there's some people that think she got a, a sh- that thinks she got a wrong deal, a raw deal. That's what I'm looking for. And that he's one of them that thinks, you know, if it hadn't been for her, the Loa would have succeeded in their plans. And Amanda Waller's really the only thing that stopped it from happening. And so basically he tells her, I like here how he's like, well, I've got a job for you. You take the job, succeed, survive. Well, you know the rift. After all, you wrote it. Interested? So again, he's coming to Amanda Waller basically to have her join his suicide squad. And you know, you know the deal. You wrote this stuff down. Do you want to do this? And Amanda Waller, she's been in jail for a year. The first splash panel, if that's part of the story, if that wasn't just a picture, which is very nice. But uh, she's looking kind of defeated. But with Sarge still here, we reveal that she she knew he was going to be coming to her at some point. She said it's actually uh, sooner than she thought. She's like, you're, you're sooner than I expected still. Job must be especially nasty. And your folks must be especially desperate. And so Amanda Waller's in her element now. She she knows that she has up her hand. If they're coming to her after this time and, and they're wanting to make a deal, she knows that she can make the deal she wants. And that's just tells you know, okay, we're going to start this negotiation over again, but this time I'm going to tell you how it's going to work. <laughs> and Still's like, not a chance. He storms away, throwing a cigar down. He's like, you think about it. You know where to find me. <laughs> so I'll be right here. <laughs> so again, Amanda knows that it may take a little while, but she knows that he'll be back and he'll be ready to deal on her terms. So again, I love that Amanda about Amanda Waller. As I've always said, I, I love this version of Amanda. She's a squat, heavyset black woman that, you know, she, she's not no fashion model like they try to do in some of the remakes they've done of her. She's, you know, this looking at her, she doesn't seem very impressive, but that's Amanda. She will get in your face and tell you, you know what? I know how the game's played. These are my rules. You're going to do it my way. It hasn't always worked out for her because, again, she's been in jail for the last year, but it's Amanda Waller. She's not going to back down. And so we cut outside to Sarge still talking to a car, talking to some guys in the car. I don't know how to go. She saw, she saw, saw through it in a second. And meanwhile, as they're talking, we get uh, someone, we don't know who it is yet, listening in on their conversation. Apparently, they're spying on them. And Deadshot is in the room. And the guy's like, oh, still stymied. Our plan can continue. You ready to receive the contract? And Deadshot's like, sure, why not? So again, you know, Deadshot's on the opposing team, apparently. And he's ready to rumble. So we've got Amanda Waller back in play. We've got Deadshot somewhere in the mix. And then we cut to Batman over in Gotham City. 
It's one night later. Batman is standing with Gotham talking about a corpse they found. So they're talking. They're wondering, well, you know, did he come from a plane or because there's no tall buildings? He came from somewhere high. That was like a plane, helicopter. And Gordon's like, well, we didn't hear anything or the security guard didn't hear anything. If he had been pushed from a flying one, the body would be more shattered than it was. And they're talking about how this guy was a strong man. And how it looks like he came from a, he was thrown or knocked from another position because he was hit from one air. He landed and he kind of skidded to where he was at or bounced and then rolled before he landed where he's at. Batman's like, oh, it looks like the trajectory's from that ship. And Gordon's like, good Lord, how? Projectile? Or he was thrown. And Gordon's like, no crane, no catapult, no gun of any kind. Are you suggesting someone threw Vargas or Varga? Uh, one thing, I mean, I have problems with this story. And they, they kind of recover here in a little bit. And they get back on track. But Batman, to a degree, and Gordon even more so, are are puzzled how come a man can be thrown a great distance uh, without any sort of uh, external means. And they'll mention later Superman here in a few couple panels. But it took him a while to get to a metahuman when this is the DC universe. Metahumans are all around. So, again, I don't like to disparage John Ostender's work because he does a fantastic job every issue on this. But I, I found that kind of what well, scratch of my head. In the same way... Uh, a few years before this, I remember I was living up in Merced, California, and there was a, a Batman story. I forget the, which one it was, but it was something about Batman and aliens, not capital A aliens. That would come out later. Uh, but no, Batman talking about some aliens, and he was talking to Alfred, and he talked like he didn't really believe in aliens. And I'm like, you're on a team with Superman and Martian Manhunter, who are both aliens, a Green Lantern who works for aliens. You have uh, the King of the Seven Seas and Atlantean there. What do you mean you don't believe in aliens? I, I forget the name of that story now. I forget if it was a one-shot or if it was in... Uh, I can't remember, unfortunately, but uh, this kind of gives me the same tingles. Like, what do you mean, how was he thrown this far? And when they're talking about it, it looks like the guy... Someone, they found a, a magnum slug on the ground. It was totally flattened. And Batman says, well, evidence suggests that he was thrown from the ship by a metahuman with superhuman strength and vulnerability. And the only person that Gordon thinks of is Superman. Yes, Superman is at the top of the list of powerful people, but throwing a person from a ship isn't Superman's speed. I mean, Everyone knows this. So, again, Gordon going immediately to Superman, to me, is a, a bit of a stretch. I, I don't know what John's intention with this was, or if this was Kim. I don't know who wrote the dialogue in this. But I, I just found it rather, I don't kind of the bridge too far in this story. I, I enjoy the story otherwise, but this these couple panels here, a couple pages here, where they're trying to get their head around a metahuman that can throw... Someone to take a slug and it's not Superman. This isn't the early years of the DC Universe. I mean, if this was like a year one story, sure, maybe. But, I mean, Waller's been in prison for a year at this point. So, and Batman's been in this comic before. So, he's not new. None of them are new to the radio. So, I, I don't. Uh, 
you know, kind of dwelling on this because this is one of the, I said one of only the really bad part about the story, in my opinion, is this whole it took a while to get to figure out that it was not Superman. Well, surprise, surprise. But I, I don't know. And but I do like when uh, Gordon says, you mean, you're not saying Superman. And Batman's like, Jim, is Superman through Varga? The body be in Seattle. And so Batman wants to talk to the witness. So he talks to the security guard and then also Mr. Varga's housekeeper. And he gets some information in here. I love this is pre-Oracle. Again, I love Oracle. I love what John did when he created her. But the Bat books tended to misuse her, I think, or rely on her too much. I kind of wish she would have just stayed on the outskirts, stayed like the Suicide Squad and other books on the outskirts, because the Batman books kind of abused it, I think, and kind of drift away from Batman being a detective. And that's, you know, that's the name of the other book he had out besides Batman was Detective Comics. So, but here I do like that he does use his, his detective skills. Cause he's talking to the woman. He's like, you know, what was the last thing that happened last night? Well, he's watching the news and he started yelling about a butcher and took off. And he's like, so what channel was he watching? What time was this? And so he gets, he takes off with uh, in the Batmobile, and uh, Gordon's like, "So, so what's going on? Do you have an idea?" And he's like, "I've got a couple ideas, but let me check some data first. I'll get back to you." And like <laughs> Batman drives off. Gordon's like, "Fine, don't tell me anything. After all, I'm only the police commissioner." I love his very attitude, the attitude here, because again, he is the police commissioner. He should be on the details, but it's Batman. And I will say this now, I do love, like I said, that they they do follow up on the detective angle of Batman. And I love Batman's look at this point. Uh, this was when he had the, the gray costume with the blue cow and cloak that was in shadows partly. This is my era of Batman. I, I didn't, I understand why they went for the darker look later on, the totally black look which the movies all picked up on and used, and they're so used to this day. But I prefer, because again, this was kind of what he looked like in the Super Friends. Uh, he had this for a while, and the Super Friends is a little more colorful. It was a bluer blue and a grayer, you know, a, a nicer gray. But I, I do like this look of Batman, because again, this is what I grew up with. This is the Batman I know. So I really love the way Batman looks here. And again, the Batmobile here is just a, a car, pretty much with the Bat logo on the side. And the front of it looks almost like Bat Eyes, I guess, the headlights. It's a nice looking car. And again, at this era of Batman, it seems like he had a different car every other week. So, uh, as I was talking about, though, as he takes off, he contacts Alfred. And, you know, I guess apparently they record all the different news broadcasts. He also describes to Alfred the MetaHuman looking for, and Batman, of course, has a database with all of the MetaHumans that he can find out about in there. Uh, this was leading up to the Bat God, which, again, uh, some writers, especially over the Justice League book, and even in this book, would take to extremes. But in their computers, they do have a guy called uh, Gort, a.k.a. Stalvinok, or Steel Wolf. And again, I first remember him from over in the Firestorm book, because John was writing that book also. 
and he tended to tie his books together to a degree. He would use a lot of the same villains throughout the books, which I really love because it makes it more interconnected. And while the DC universe was somewhat connected, uh, John Ostinger had his own uh, connectivity tissue going on. I mean, there was differences in some books, so you don't know, you know, in the Batman books, did they tie into the Superman books very well, or did they tie in here? And at parts of this time frame, you would get some of the editors of some of the, the books would get very uh, territorial. And so you have the Bat books doing their thing, the Superman books doing their things, the Just League books doing that, and so forth. So I do like the fact that John had his own little series of books here that interconnected and he got them all tied together, uh, whether it was a, a direct crossover or just the interconnectivity of using the different villains across the different books. I, I love, like I said, I love continuity and I love things that tie together. So I just thought this was great. And I do like here on the bottom of page 11 is, is Batman's talking to Alfred and Alfred's like, extreme, use extreme caution, sir. Gort is most violent and he may also be protected by diplomatic immunity. And Batman's like, not for me. And I love this close-up of Batman's eyes as he's saying that. He's just, he's got the white eyes and just a close-up on his cow. Just a great diplomatic immunity. And then we cut to Gort walking along the street. And we have this inset panel of Gort's eyes like looking up because here someone says butcher. And we turn around, we get Batman sitting up on top of a, a light post telling him, you know, uh, that he knows who he is. And that basically there was a man that was killed and he believes that he, that Gort did it. And he, he's waiting for Gort to either deny it or come up with some sort of explanation why it happened. And of course, hey, no, I did it. <laughs> oh, well. And so Batman jumps down. They do their obligatory fight. And again, this is a guy that, that was mistaken for Superman by Gordon. So he's very powerful. He's uh, extremely tough, but Batman just dives in. And a lot of people question, why is Batman on the Justice League? Because Batman's uh, a human compared to all these gods he's with. And in this this book here, especially these couple page, pages where he fights Gort, uh, Batman kind of shows why he's on the Justice League, why he has that spot at the table. Because, again, he's just an ordinary human, but he's super smart. He's able to leap down, and he's he's able to hold his own against a superhuman. He's using his gadgets. Uh, he's got, like, a knockout gas or something he uses to kind of slow Gort down a little bit, but Gort pulls a, a telephone pole out of the – not a telephone pole – a light pole out of the ground and tries to smash Batman with it. But, again, he's Batman, so the guy smashes a car instead. Uh, Batman jumps on his back and just chops at his neck – Batman gets tossed over this fence towards this house, bounces off of it, and he's on the other side of the fence. He turns around, and Gort's like, if I had the time, I'd enjoy destroying you. As it is, and Gort just flies off. Well, again, I don't think he's flying. He's doing kind of like a Superman early days, leaping a quarter mile a time or whatever. But he leaps off. As Batman jumps over the fence, you know, this isn't over, Gort. Wherever you go, I'll follow, and I'll have your head. And he's laying stark stills like, no, you won't, hero. And he's like, you're out of this Batman. Or we'll find just how deep the secret of yours is, your secret identity. And Batman's like, well, I did that once. No more. And Sarge Steele's like, give me no reason, or give me reasons, and I'll make it my business to find out your secrets. He's like, any bets on who wants to find out faster? 
And so I do like that this kind of acknowledges that's one big thing, especially nowadays. But they're like, you know, it's hard. How can Batman keep his identity secret? If the government wants to know, they should be able to find it out. And this kind of tells us that basic right there, that the government, as long as Batman doesn't cross a line, they're willing to let him be Batman without them looking into him. And still admits here that, you know, we could find out who you are just by looking into you a little bit. So I do like the implications that that uh, still makes here about you know their their uh, whole I guess thought process towards Batman. You know, as long as you play cards with us, do what we tell you to do. We're not going to look into who you are. And then he realizes that, you know he's kind of taking the wrong tactic for Batman. They're they're kind of adversarial at this point. So he's like, oh, wait, let's start over. I'm gonna get something big. I need your help. Can you take a ride with me? <laughs> so again, he starts off, you know, no, you're going to stay out of this. You're done. You push this. We'll find who you are. He's like, wait a minute. I done messed up. Uh, Batman, I need your help. Come with me, please. <laughs> and so they go down to Louisiana, back to Amanda Waller. And here on the bottom of page 18, it looks like we have Steel talking to Waller, who's sitting behind a computer setup. It looks like Batman's in the background listening. And, uh, he's still telling her that they got a problem and that the best solution would be the Suicide Squad, which doesn't exist at this point. And he needs to do something about that. And so here the next page or so, uh, Stills laying out his problem to Amanda and Batman that apparently in Vlatavia, one of the countries in the Eastern Bloc, it fell under Soviet influence after World War II. Uh, Vlatia is where... Uh, Count Vertigo, who was a member of the Suicide Squad, came from. He was supposed to be the the ruler of the country. Uh, apparently, there's been a lot of revolutions, and it's financed by extreme right wing elements in our country. And apparently, the goal of the revolution is not just to free the Valatia, but it's to force the government and the Soviets into confrontation. And so, the Soviets, in their response, have sent a metahuman group themselves over. Uh, called the Red Shadows, led by Zastro, and led and filled by Zalvinok. Uh, again, I'm horrible pronouncing these, these Russian names, but that's Gort. And their first mission was to cut off the rebel supply line, which was Varga. And it's very, f- I guess, funny, very fitting, or whatever, that I'm reviewing this book now with Russia going up against one of its, its neighboring countries and having a little mini war, whatever you want to call it, uh, going on, uh, they're trying not to have a war, so they got the metahumans fighting each other. But uh, Soviet attacking a nearby country, it kind of fits with uh, real world problems today. <laughs> and so basically, the next couple pages here is just still telling Amanda that, you know, we need you to do this. We want you to uh, start up the squad again and and take care of this issue for us. And he's like, you know, what's your deal? Or what's your terms? And I like this here on the bottom of page 20. She's like, you know, it's real easy. I'm out of prison now. No strings. Presidential pardon. I get access to prisoners with the same deal as before. Batman helps me on this case. Oh, and you give me a million dollars. <laughs> and we get a little panel here at the top with Sarge still thinking about it. And he's like, you're crazy. And so we get some more information on what Amanda wants from the new squad. Uh, it's going to be a Tominus. They'll be hired out on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, the billion dollars is our fee, 
and the client covers all expenses. Uh, they have no control, but again, they have reduced liability. So if something goes wrong, it's the suicide squad on their own. And it's always been kind of that way that if something was to happen, the government was going to deny all knowledge of many ways. But there was always those those that paperwork and other things in the background that kind of led you to the government being behind the suicide squad. Uh, but with this new deal, like I said they're not going to use it. They're going to have a base anymore. Uh, no support, no protection, no rescue in case of capture. And like she says, they're expendable. And it's just what you want. So, again, I do like the, the fact that Amanda's renegotiating. She's bringing the squad back to life, as it were. Again, the Phoenix gamut kind of, you know, the Phoenix is the, the bird that dies and comes back to life. Kind of like the Suicide Squad right now. So, I, I do like the title, how it plays into the rebirth of the Suicide Squad. And so after Amanda gives her ultimatum, basically, <clears throat> this is what I want done. We wait half a heartbeat. We show all three of them, like, in a standoff. We cut to Sarge. Cut to Amanda. Back to Sarge going, okay, you got it. And then she looks over at Batman. Again, why I love Amanda. She's willing to stand to Batman. She doesn't take his BS. She's like, all right, how about you, tall, dark, and brooding? You playing? And Batman's like, I'm not sure. I don't like you all. I don't like the way you operate. Why do you need me? And she basically needs him to help join, uh, convince some others to join up with her team. And he's like, you don't like what I do? You can split. And Batman, again, they're just staring down at each other. And she's all oh, head shorter than Batman. She's looking up at him and he's looking down at her. And he's like, if I don't like what you're doing, I'll shut you down. It's like, fair enough. You in? Like, for now. And she's like, let's go find the Suicide Squad. Like, close up Amanda Waller's face. She says this. Next issue is Pawns. Again, I, I love this. I think that, uh, again, uh, Austin Duraniel did a fantastic job with the, the story itself, with the, the writing and the characters. Uh, Jeff Isherwood is a great artist for the Suicide Squad. Uh, again, I love the dark and gritty style he has. That fits perfect with the Suicide Squad. It's just a great story. I love the, the, again, the reinvention of the Suicide Squad as we're starting here. Uh, this was just a great storyline. And I do like in the letter column, I'm going to mention that uh, someone, Robert K-N-U-I-S-T, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, in Mountain View, California. I used to date a girl in Mountain View. Anyway, this was years after this, but uh, he wants some future members of the team. Mattermaster, Black Spider, Dr. Polaris, Wildcats. Uh, and I guess he's referring to the... He says, whatever happened to her? I thought maybe... This, no, I guess this... Well, yeah, the, the, the female Wildcat appeared in Crisis. She's around now. Uh, and then Black Lightning. And for guest stars, the Hawk and Dove. Yes, love Hawk and Dove. The Adam and JLA. And the, the editor who wrote the back to this. It's Interesting Choices. Uh, Dr. Perilous... Dr. Polaris just got creamed in Starman 17 through 18, which I actually covered over on my Starman Adventure Hour, or Adventure Show podcast. Uh, so he may show up in here, maybe. Uh, Wildcat, Wildcat, Wildcat is actually rock journalist Yolanda Montez, and has been the last few months uh, touring with first the Still Wheels Express, and then Paul McCartney. Hmm. And then it says the Atom, you say. Hmm. So, again, it's uh, making mention of the Atom at this point. And, uh, again, over on my 
main show, Head Speaks. I am covering the Power of the Atom series. Uh, things got delayed over there. I planned on crossing the two over at some point because, well, spoilers, Adam is going to show up here at some way. Uh, we'll have to wait for that, though, until the future. But So if you like the Adam, check out my Head Speaks podcast, where I'm currently covering Power of the Atom. But that's there, and this is now. So that's the end of this issue. Next issue is the Phoenix Gamble 2, Part 2, which I'm going to be covering here uh, after a brief word from our sponsors. Well, okay, not our sponsors, but some fellow podcasters. Be right back, guys. We'll be back with much more fun. Now don't you change that channel, son. Jeff. Hey, Mike. Man, it sure is great to be back to from crisis to crisis after all this time. It's been a busy year for both of us. For very different reasons. But now we're ready to cover the post-death and return Superman stories. Yeah, and we're about to start the books that came out in 1994, which means that we have so much to look forward to, like Bizarro's World. The Battle for and Fall of Metropolis. Superman Doomsday, Hunter, Prey. Worlds Collide. Well, you're looking forward to that one. Oh, bite me. Zero hour. Zero month. And right there at the end, we have Dead Again. And don't forget the Elseworlds annuals as well. Well, most of them anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of those really did suck, don't they? But From Crisis to Crisis is back. New episodes will drop on Thursday, just like before. You can find the show at the Superman homepage, www.supermanhomepage.com, as well as at the Superman Podcast Network, which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we also have a Facebook page that you can like by going to www.facebook.com slash from crisis to crisis a superman podcast.com. Is it .com on there? No. No, no, it's not. No, no dot com. Forget that. <laughs> so from crisis to crisis is back, folks, and better than ever. Well, I'm better than ever. You need some work. No, shut up. No, you 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 shut up. From crisis to crisis. You suck. A Superman podcast covering the post-crisis adventures of Superman one half month at a time. Every Thursday at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. Adolescents this generation have no respect and are a far cry from my sweet Jane Eyre and her friend Helen Burns. Why, just this afternoon I was Stella. across and, and you know what? Men too. Well, uh, 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 Stella? Serious men like the tragic Mr. Rochester and teachers, pa, they're all like the villainous Mr. Brocklehurst. Hey, Stella! Uh, yes, Thomas? As much as I enjoy um, indulging your insanity, we have a promo to record. Oh dear, and what might that be? That is you and I telling everyone that we have a brand new podcast out there. It's called Required Reading with Tom and Stella. Once a month, we will take a look at a single work of literature, discuss it, analyze it, and determine if it's worth its place in the canon. Oh dear, that sounds delightful. Oh, I'm sure it will be. 
And you can find us on the Two True Freaks Network, which is at twotruefreaks.com. Oh, yes. Required reading with Tom and... Why is it Tom and Stella? Why can't it be Stella and Tom? It rolls off the tongue better? Okay. Well, that was easy. So, required reading with Tom and Stella at twotruefreaks.com. Thanks for contributing to the promo there. You did a great job. Oh, you are so welcome. In 2014, two comic fans joined forces to do a Doom Patrol podcast. As there was no Doom Patrol comic series at the time, they called it Waiting for Doom. That was us, me, Mike, and him, Paul. In 2016, DC Comics became fearful of the power of Waiting for Doom and sought to appease us by bringing the comic back. Uh, That's not exactly how it went. In 2018, terrified of the sheer horde-organising power of Waiting for Doom, DC Universe announced a Doom Patrol TV show. Uh, I think they were planning that without us. In 2019, they again brought back the Doom Patrol comic, hoping we would not smite them. Uh, This makes no sense. In 2021, they realised we were the most unstoppable force in existence and released the Doom Patrol movie. Uh, This is pure fantasy now. In 2022, a terrified Motion Picture Academy awarded the Doom Patrol movie every single Oscar, including Best Documentary and Foreign Language Film. That's enough, Paul. Look, we just love the Doom Patrol and have fun talking about it. You can find us on all podcast places and now Spotify. And check out our website, waitingfordoom.com, or we will wipe you out, all of you. Commercial's over, don't you know? Now it's time to watch the show. Be sure to check out them shows. And let's go ahead and get started with our next episode. Next episode? Our next issue. This is Suicide Squad issue number 41. The cover date was May of 1990. The on-sale date, April the 3rd of 1990. Cover price was still $1. The title of this was called Embers. Written, as usual, by the wonderful Kim Yell and John Oshender. Artist, Jeff Isherwood. Letter, Todd Klein. Artist, Carl Gafford. Editor was Don Raspler, and the cover was done by Jeff Isherwood. And this was reprinted in the Suicide Squad, the Phoenix Gambit trade paperback, which came out in 2017. And again, I'm going to bypass the synopsis as I've started doing, and let's go straight into the issue. Uh, This, with the cover, you've got our font at the top that says Suicide Squad, and then the Phoenix Gambit, part two of four. The cover, the... I'm not sure how to describe it. The main f- focus of the cover, I guess, is Count Vertigo in his costume, and he's he's throwing troops around. He's using their, his vertigo powers to make them fall around. And on either side of him, we have a close-up of Amanda Waller and Batman facing off. Again, a great cover. Uh, the Count Vertigo is decent. I mean, again, I'm not a huge Count Vertigo fan, but the Amanda Waller and the Batman... Uh, side profiles, in my opinion, is worth the price of admission. But yeah, it's a great cover. Uh, I love all four of these covers, but uh, we're talking about this one. The story itself, though, let's move on to that. So the story starts out, we get a close-up of Count Vertigo uh, yelling, Strike now! We are the mighty host! A fiery sword! And so forth. And it looks very dramatic. He's got a horse of some sort next to him. 
But then the next page we cut and we see he's on a, a, a sculpture of a horse in the middle of a park. And there's soldiers all around him. He's yelling, freedom, we shall prevail, as he flies up in the air and causes tanks and people to fly all over the place. It's a great opening scene that you don't realize he's on a a, a, a stone horse, I guess, until actually we go to the next page and we see where he's actually astride a, a, a statue of a horse. And it's very nice. He's speaking all biblical and... He said, we shall prevail. And the great dragon was cast out of the earth. And all Satan's angels were cast with out, cast out with him. <laughs> and then we cut over to, uh, what's his name, Zastro and uh, Stalvaduck. As they're watching what's going on, they're talking about how the, the Blue Trinity, which if I'm not mistaken, was some Russian speedsters that used to show up in the Flash book back in the day, back around this time frame, in fact. Uh, they talk about how the Blue Trinity, they used them, and even their speed was no effect against Count Vertigo's abilities. And uh, what's his name? Str- uh, I keep messing up his name. His name, uh, Stalinov. He looks over and he's like, Comrade Maltov, come here. Comrade Maltov, what would you do to serve your country? And he's like, well, I am ready to do whatever is necessary. And... Uh, Stalvanok picks him up. He's like, good. And throws him as hard as he can right to where Vertigo's at. And again, Maltov explodes. So when he lands at Vertigo's feet, he explodes and knocking Vertigo out. And his men rush over to help him. And he's like, ah, oh, clever. Maltov's own explosion would have broken his fall. He's like, Psh, a missile from a jet could do the same. But we find out that Vertigo's powers would affect the internal calibration of the missiles and that's why they couldn't shoot a missile at him but seeing how this man was you know Moltov was thrown there there was no computers or anything guiding it basically it was just something flying through the air so I thought that was a nice touch and again I do like they were able to knock Vertigo out that way it's a great scene of there's another talk as Vertigo's laid there unconscious but again, I, I do love this little scene. And I love, again, this was uh, John Ostender. He also wrote Firestorm at the time and several other books. Martian Manor, I believe, Spectre. And he would cross a lot of his characters over into the other books he wrote. And like I've said, he, he has his own little Ostender universe, if you will. Which I think is a great way to tie all these books together, even though a lot of them, like I say, Firestorm, per se, and Suicide Squad don't really have anything to do with each other. But they've got these background villains. And again, when John was writing the Firestorm book, it also had a darker, I forget who the artist was, maybe Mandrake. It had a darker, grittier feel, which I, I didn't like as much because, again, Firestorm to me is a, as I referred to it, was a four-color hero. So I, I didn't really like the uh, darker, grittier look on Firestorm. But like I say, in this book, it works wonders. And then we cover a vixen on a, uh, a catwalk doing a fashion show as Waller shows up. And uh, she, she's like, congratulations, vixen. And vixen's like, I thought you were in jail. They needed someone to do a dirty job. And she's like, yeah, I, I don't want you in here. Get away from me. I'm done f- with that whole life. 
And he said, oh, okay, that's fine. Anything you tell Turner when I see him? And again, so uh, Vix and uh, Mari didn't know that Ben was still alive. So she, she's finding out that Ben's alive and that Waller's going after him. And she agrees to help Waller just because she wants to see Ben again. But I uh, like Waller, again, is very no-nonsense, very, very uh, to the point. She's like, you're not coming with me? Unless you're with me for the duration. I'm playing hearts and flowers lost and found here. Jobs takes maybe two weeks. Then you can do what you want. And like here on page eight, there's a uh, just a nice side view of, of Mari and Waller just staring at each other. And again, as I've said, Waller is a short, squat, heavyset woman. While uh, Mari Vixen, she's a, a model. So she's tall and you know slender and... Uh, they're just so there's that height difference that you know her looking down at Waller, Waller looking up at her. But the way Waller does it, and the way that they draw Waller looking at Vixen, it's not like she's looking up to her, even though she has to be. It's just a great scene here, and Vixen's like, "Give me 15 minutes," and Waller's like, leave, "Bring the totem, leave the costume. I'll explain as we go." Then we cut to Rio Bravia, the capital city of Puerto Azul in South America, where we get all these people yelling, down with the general, down with his whore. And they're basically just ready to storm his, his uh, whatever, mansion. And we cut inside, we find Poison Ivy is, kind of, I don't know how much she's controlling him and how much, yeah, I assume she's controlling her. She's controlling him because he's like, you know, the city means nothing to me. Only our love matters. And she's like, Porto Zoo means a lot to me, you fat sap. Money, power, more money. You ran the country and I ran you with sex and drugs. It worked on Broadway. But again, so she finds, you know, she tells him that, you know, he's useless to her. So she, see, I'm not sure if she killed, I'm assuming she killed him. She pets her fingers up to his face and he falls to the ground. She's like, rest in peace, General Mosmo, whatever her name is. And at first, especially rereading this, I didn't remember who this was offhand, which is a redhead. And I wasn't thinking Ivy. But then we get Batman showing up, uh, telling us who it is, and basically telling her that, you know, that he's working with Waller right now and that he is her only way out of the country. And she's like, what about my guards? You know, they can take you out and... What guards? And she goes out and looks, and there's guards lying in the hallway where Batman took them all out. She, and here on page, bottom of page 11, she's got her back up against her, like, oh, crap. Uh, Batman took them all out. I got no guards. I got no one that's going to help me. Uh-oh. <laughs> and she's like, how do I know you can get me out of here? And he's like, I got in, and the only one who knows that, that is you. You coming? And I guess she didn't kill him, because I forgot. He, he wakes up after they leave. Ivy, my little flower? Where are you, Ivy? So again, yeah, I love we get. I say Batman was introduced last issue as helping. I guess I don't know if helping is the right word, but I guess helping Waller gather her recruits. And so we see this issue. He's the one that's gathering Ivy up because again they have a shared history. And as I think I said earlier in this episode when I was talking about the last issue, I love the look of Batman here. He's got the gray costume with the the black cloak and the black shorts. Uh, it looks, it's blue black. It looks blue, but I think it's supposed to be more black uh, with the yellow symbol and all. It just, this is classic Batman to me. I just love the way this is drawn. 
and it's just fantastic. Uh, Jeff Isherwood did a fantastic, and Carl Gaffer with the colors, don't forget, did a fantastic job on the characters in here. I, I just love the way it looks. Then we cut back to Amanda and Vixen fighting Bronze Tiger, and he's got his, his tiger makeup on, the yellow stripes on around his face. And Mari comes in, she's like, well, hello, Ben, remember me? The girl you left behind? And he's like, Ben? There is no Ben. Ben is dead. Ben never was. Here there is only the tiger. And Mari's like, Ben, my God, what happened to you? What did that bastard still do to you? He showed me who I really am, what I really am. Like it. And Vixen just summons the strength of an ape and just smashes the table in front of Ben, knocks him over. And I love the way when this, when she's using her powers, we see the creature that she's, uh, the power she's absorbing or using is superimposed above her and around her. I kind of like they do with Animal Man, uh, Vixen and Animal Man are very similar type characters. Animal Man, another character I love, which I may, I may cover him at some point over on Head Speaks or somewhere. I'm not quite sure, but that's for another time entirely. We're dealing with um, Vixen being really pissed off at Ben right here. And so Ben and Vixen get in a little fine. Then Vixen uses the powers of a horse or something to leap over him as he charges at her. And they're, they're just going at one another. And there's this white guy sitting there. Gup to Gaf- Kafka's attacking each other. Just the floor show I like. And again, Kafka, or whatever it is, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, is apparently a slang term for black people, uh, much like the N-word in here in America is. And uh, he's sitting this, this white guy with a red hair, red beard. He's got a safari-type hat on his head, like a Ricondo hat, kind of, from over at G.I. Joe. Uh, he's sitting there watching, just laughing, having a good time watching these two black guys Black guys, these two black people go at it. And all of a sudden, he gets hit in the back of a, a bottle shattering. And Waller's like, too bad you didn't pay the cover charge. And again, it's, well, I love Amanda. She's a great character. And next, we see that she's picked up a gun. And she starts shooting the floor next to Ben and Vix breaking them apart. Now they got your attention. I like to do a little business. <laughs> and he's like, I'm not the man you remember, Waller. I'm not hiring memories. And I'm not asking or offering. Charity, I got work to do. You open? He's like, to discussion. And she's like, fine. Wipe that gunk off your face, though. We're not going on any costume party. He's like, this gunk is my face. And she's like, I don't need all of you for this mission. Take the gunk off now. And she holds the gun on him. And so he wipes the, the makeup off of his face. This will cost you. Pay it on my bill. So, yeah, I, I love Amanda Waller. Like I say she, she's taken on these metahumans, people with actual powers, and she doesn't back down. She, she you know, pulls a gun on them. She's like, yeah, I, pff, I don't need all of you guys, you know. So, it forces them to take the makeup off. And when he's like, you know, you're, this is going to cost She's like, I paid on my bill. You know, I've got enough things to pay right now. <laughs> so, again, I, I just love the way that Amanda recruits the people for her missions. And it's Amanda Waller. What are you going to do? And then they go for their, their next uh, member of the team, which is in the South Pacific. Last time we saw someone being dropped off here was Captain Boomerbutt. And so he's sitting here. He's He's all... Scruffy because he hasn't shaved. He's building a, a boomerang plane type thing that he's got set to some trees that he's going to try to launch himself in the air. And uh, as they fly up, he's like, you, you bloody bite. Come back, crawling old digger, have you? Who needs you? I've rigged up my own escape here. Gonna 
tie myself to this duaca, release the ties, and fling home to Australia. Dead cert. Chuff off. <laughs> and Vixen's like, how far do you think you'll get? And Ben's all, maybe 100 feet? Look, do we really need him? <laughs> Man, there's, like, there's other brands of cannon fodder, but he's the nearest to hand. Now, you want to show him the air of his ways? And as they jump out, Mari's like, that's what I've always hated about this job, the garbage pickup. And so they jump down to the island, and Ben holds on to Boom- Boomerang, Captain Boomerang. That way he can't stop Mari. She pulls a knife out, and she cuts the cord on the trees that he was he'd strapped down. And we see his glider thing he built go flying into some rocks out in the ocean nearby. And, and the look on his face here on page... Uh, what page is this? Page 20 is just priceless. He's like, he's like a big beard now, and you know his hair is all wild and unkempt, and he's just like, what the heck? <laughs> Tell you what, in consideration of the old days, which, mind you, are not all that bad, I decided to throw back in a few lot. Can I put a body for a lift, mate? <laughs> Again, that's very Captain Boomerang. Uh, one thing, as I complained about, I didn't care for the guy in the Suicide Squad movie playing Boomerang. He was too much of a, uh, what I call a soccer hooligan, just some rough and tumble guy. And that, that's not Boomerang. Uh, he will fight if need be, but he, he's not. And he is full of himself, and he does have that bit of, I don't know, condescending attitude, or I, I don't, I'm not quite sure what it is, but he, he uses things to his advantage. I don't know, I just didn't care for him. Anyways, we're not talking about the Suicide Squad movie, we're talking about... The comic book. So I do love the way he, he joins back up with them. And then we cut to the next member of their gathering, which is Batman coming up to Ravon. Uh, and Batman, you know, calls him out and says, this church is a murder for hire organization. And uh, Ravon keeps saying that, you know, each death prevents Kali Yaga or whatever uh, from coming for another thousand years. And I like this. He's sitting there. He's like, the authorities know this, but cannot prove it. Just as I know Kali exists, but I could not prove it to you. And this being Batman's, I'm not the authorities, Ravon. He pushes a button on his utility belt and the cyber church that Ravon's in explodes. Rather beneficently here on the bottom of page 21, he comes walking out, Ravon over his shoulder. Next time, maybe a little less dynamite. Guards or guys are laying on the ground, knocked out from the explosion. It's just a great scene of Batman recruiting, I guess recruiting in quotes, Ravon. Again, they're picking up all these old members of the Suicide Squad. Uh, Poison Ivy did help him for a little bit. She wasn't a longtime member like some of these other guys, but I do love the way they're getting the band back together, if you will. And then the story ends with uh, Sarge still reporting to some other guys with him that they've assembled their team, and they're heading to Vlata. And uh, one of the guys there is like, so what's her plan when she gets there? And Steele's like, don't know, won't know. It's part of the deal. From this point, she and the squadron are on their own. We can't interfere, and we can't be blamed if it all goes wrong. And again, this last part we hear over a speaker, someone's got the office bugged, and we don't see who this guy is, but he's talking to Deadshot. He's like, Deadshot, I have another job for you. I trust you'd be more successful this time. And basically this guy's telling him that he has to go kill Amanda Waller. And I love this here on the bottom of page 22. We get a close-up of Deadshot with a scope on his eye, looking through his, his wrist gun as the guy's saying, all you have to do is go to Vlata and kill Amanda Waller. 
as his next firefight. So, again, I love uh, Deadshot getting involved. I love Deadshot as a character. Again, back to the Suicide Squad movie, I didn't like them having Will Smith because it's Will Smith. And I don't know, I just... Eh. But anyways, uh, that was a great story. Again, as I said, I love the artwork on here. Uh, in the letter column real quick, uh, there was a letter from a guy called Neil Alquist who was talking about, you know, he's uh, talking about how DC Comics is more of an international appeal. They got, you know, they've got, you're just like Europe, but the characters aren't, a, aren't uh, stuck in just like Europe as they've had Wild Huntsman, Stavanok, and the Red Shadows. And the editor says, well, if you enjoy more international focus for the Suicide Squad, stay tuned. One of our goals is shaking up our team was spent a more international stage. Uh, so again, it's just a great story. Uh, I thought, again, the first two parts of the Phoenix Gambit was great, in my opinion. I mean, they, they disbanded the Suicide Squad in issue 49, or 39, and then they waited a year story-wise and now they're bringing the band back together. They got Amanda, who I love, leading the squad. They got her working with Batman, who they've faced off before in this book. And again, Batman's renewed his, you know, his threat to her that, you know, she, she doesn't watch it. He'll shut him down permanently. Uh, we're getting some longtime members of the Suicide Squad. We get Ben, Vixen, both characters who, again, just to complain further, one or both of them should have been in one or both of the Suicide Squad movies. Uh, they're always looking for, in fact, that's why they made Deadshot Will Smith is to get a little more diversity in the movie. I mean, you've got some great black characters that, in my opinion, you're ignoring and it's a kind of a crime, a shame. It's just, I don't know. They really are missing out, in my opinion, by not using some of these great characters they've got. But uh, that's my own thoughts on it. Uh, this was the first two parts of the Phoenix Gambit, Suicide Squad number 40 and 41. Uh, what do you guys out there think? Did you enjoy this story? Did you guys read this when it came out? Let me know. Shoot me an email to taskforcex at headcastnetwork.com. And just let you guys know, apparently I've been having a problem with my email for a while. I didn't realize it. I just discovered it, and I think I've got it fixed now. So please, if, if I've responded, it's not because I'm ignoring you. It's just because my email has been working properly and I wasn't aware of it. So definitely uh, shoot me an email to taskforcex at headcastnetwork.com. Check out our Facebook group, uh, facebook.com slash groups slash headcastnetwork. Check out the website, headcastnetwork.com. And let me know what you think. And I look forward to hearing from you guys. But uh, that's going to do it for this month. Next month, we will wrap up the coverage of Task Force X, the, the new beginning, if you will. The Phoenix Gambit issues, uh, th or parts three and four. But until then, squadmates dismissed. to another great episode of Task Force X. I can also be found rambling on my main headcast of Head Speaks. 
where I rant and rave about movies, comics, geek stuff, and whatever is bugging me. Mate, you just out crazy the Joker. <laughs> well, I tried Boomer, but anyways, my home on the internet is at headspeaks.com. H-E-A-D-S-P-E-A-K-S dot C-O-M. Links to my blog, which contain follow-up information to this and every headcast can be found there. Both Task Force X and Headspeaks are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at headspeaks.com under headcasts. Please feel free to email me any questions, comments, or concerns to taskforcex at headspeaks.com. And if you want to record a message, you can send it to me at taskforcex at headspeaks.com, and I'll play it on the air. I'm also on Facebook at taskforcex, and also on Google+, Plus, you can look for taskforcex under people and pages. All titles and characters discussed are owned and copyrighted by DC Comics. I claim no ownership to the Suicide Squad, Checkmate, or Task Force X. I'm just a big fan wanting to spread the Task Force X love with everyone else. Uh, DC Comics can be found on the web at dccomics.com. Be sure to visit your local comic shop and look for Suicide Squad and Checkmate Comics. And while you're there, see what else they have that may interest you. <laughs> well, make sure you join us here next time for another fun-filled headcast from your friendly neighborhood, Brotherhead. In the meantime, I'll see you in the funny pages.